Luke chapter 7. I have my bookmarks in both places because uh, we have this parallel passage here and we're going to focus <clears throat> mostly on uh, Matthew's account, but we're also going to look back to what uh, Mark had to say. Did I say Mark? I said Luke, didn't I? Mark. That's where my, my bookmark is. Mark 7. Sorry about that. I wrote Luke and meant Mark. <clears throat> and uh, what we have here is we have this interesting interaction uh, between Jesus and this, this woman who was not um, uh, of Israel. She was, she was a Gentile woman. And we have, I don't know how familiar you are with this, with this story, or it's been a story that I feel like up to this point I had just kind of read in Bible reading. I hadn't really um, broken it down. I had some questions, and I'm not sure why I didn't uh, go into it deeper and study it deeper. Um, but Jesus is responding to this woman here in a way that is almost shocking, especially when you, you come at this story with the way that we think, uh, with the way our modern, our modern minds work with uh, political correctness and, and to certain things you do and you don't say to people. Uh, so at first glance, reading this, it, it, in the way we think of people interacting with people, it, it doesn't really seem like a way that people would imagine Jesus interacting with someone. Uh, especially in, in a general term, if you took a poll of people, people outside the church just walk around town and and ask people if you think Jesus would talk to someone this way. You would probably get a, no, Jesus wouldn't do that. But we find Jesus speaking to this woman this way here. Let's, so you quit wondering what I'm talking about. Let's look at Mark chapter 7, and uh, starting in verse 24. <clears throat> and we'll read down to verse 30. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre, and Sidon, and entered into an house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came, and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, thy way, or sorry, for this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. In Matthew's account, uh, we can really see Jesus drawing, drawing this, I, this whole interaction. We see him drawing it out. In Mark's account, it kind of goes quick, and we see Jesus hesitating a little. But in Matthew's account, Jesus really draws this out and makes this woman really prove her faith and, and show her faith. Jesus exposes this woman's faith through this interaction. Jesus ends up saying that this woman's faith is great. 
Matthew records for us. <clears throat> Jesus speaks of great faith twice in Matthew. Both times he was speaking of Gentiles having great faith. Matthew 8 with the Roman centurion, Matthew 15 with this woman. That's such a contrast with what we've been looking at with his dealings with, with his people, with, with the Jews. I mean, think about we just looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and, and how they, their lack of faith. Really, they had a hatred for Jesus and what he was doing. But here we have this, this Gentile woman coming to Jesus and she's persistent and it ends up, Jesus says, you have great faith. Uh, think about the Jews and, and what we've seen. They're, they're working with, with Jesus or they're dealing with Jesus so far. They had had much, much exposure to this coming Messiah. They had much exposure to, to God's words and, and, and they had much truth revealed to them that they could have looked back and they could have studied. They had this long line, this long tradition of being aware of God. We also see them so often with this attitude of entitlement. Because of who they were, they were of the, the tribe of Israel, they were of the nation of Israel. So we see this entitlement so often. They have this wrong view of Jesus as the Messiah. Remember we find them trying to raise him up to be their political king, to be their political ruler. And they have this view that Jesus owed them something. They were overlooking clear signs and clear evidence that Jesus had been laying out before them time and time again. We see this rejection of many of the Jews, and we see even plans to murder the Messiah. They did not like his message. They rejected who he claimed to be. They wanted something that he was not. So compare this with the, these couple of Gentiles, specifically this woman today. It's a big contrast there. It's a, it's a sad comparison where Jesus is spending so much time with, with his people. He's pouring himself out to them. And we see this rejection. But we see these glimpses of these, these Gentiles coming in and interacting with Jesus and them having this, this great faith. And this morning, we're going to highlight the faith of this woman um, from Canaan. But we're also going to be reminded of the merciful workings of the Messiah. See, don't, don't just see this woman's faith and be like, man, she had such great faith and and I wish I could have great faith like this woman. And, and what can I do? What steps can I take to have this great faith like this woman? Don't look at this passage with that only thought in mind. Because in this passage, none of this happens without the powerful workings of God. Jesus is still the highlight. Jesus is still the focus of this passage, as he should be in all of our lives. So don't get your focus on, man, she had great faith, which Jesus highlights it. So we're going to highlight it. But don't miss the powerful God at work here. The, the gracious, merciful Messiah at work here with this Gentile woman. Okay, let's get into Matthew now. Matthew 15, verse number 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. So we know Jesus spent a lot of his earthly ministry in Galilee. But here we see Jesus. We see Jesus taking this break. We see him going into Tyre and Sidon. And now what this place was, it was a Gentile territory of ancient Phoenicia. 
It's on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Now it, it can be found in, in southern Lebanon, what we would know as southern Lebanon. So if you're wondering where this is, that's where this is. Why would Jesus go there? Why? We see Jesus' emphasis on ministering to his, to his people, around his people. Why would Jesus go there? Well, one of the reasons he knew this meeting with this, this woman was coming, I believe, and he had some lessons to teach his disciples, so I believe that's part of him going there. Um, I also believe it, it was for a break from the, the pressures of Galilee. I mean, think of these huge, I could say pressures and disappointments of Galilee. You have huge crowds coming to him and then rejecting him and, and not liking what he has to say or only wanting what he could give them. Maybe he was tired of all these fake followers, these huge crowds that would then walk away. Um, maybe he was getting away from a hateful people for a little bit, from the Jewish religious leaders who hated him, who were always trying to trip him up. Maybe Herod Antipas, who would have been aware of him, thought he was John the Baptist returned and wanted to chop his head off as soon as he could. Maybe he was aware of that. Also, he was looking, I believe, for some alone time with the disciples. Maybe even he was looking for a little bit of rest here. You remember when we read in Mark chapter 7, where they went into this house to try to be alone, to try to get away from people, but they could not? Here shows up this Gentile woman. I mean, Jesus' power, the power of the Messiah here, he couldn't even hide in a private house in a Gentile place. I mean, you, you, can, you can learn so much about Christ just, just from seeing these, these little details here. So he couldn't escape from the crowd. He, he was going into this place of privacy. I wonder, this is just me thinking, if it was refreshing for Jesus to get away from the crowd that had this mentality of entitlement. I mean, every once in a while, a break is nice. Just a break with your family or a, a break by yourself, even if it's like five minutes alone in a quiet place. Maybe that's just, maybe I'm crazy, I don't know. <laughs> but we have Jesus constantly dealing with people who felt like Jesus was obligated to serve, to heal, to liberate the Jews from the Romans, and he's always around this. And here we have him getting away to this private place, the woman that comes to him, we see no entitlement that she has. She is humble and she is broken here. So, we have Jesus and the disciples heading into Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So they're trying to get away in this private place. Here comes this, this Canaanite woman. Now if you think about her background, where she was from, the people that she was around, uh, the, the people of her area, it, she was from a pagan culture that was known for wickedness. Um, she was a descendant of a people that God had told Israel to completely conquer. You can read back in the Old Testament dealings about that. Uh, she was from a people that had no heritage in God's word, God's blessings, or God's ways. Remember how we've been kind of contrasting here? And I know there's a lot of details and we're talking about 
how the Jews viewed what God should, should be to them and God sh- or the Messiah should be to them and do to them. And they felt this entitlement. Then we have this, this woman who really would have no heritage of God's hand closely leading and guiding her people. Her people were ordered to be wiped out because of wickedness, because of their rejection. So think of this, late, think of this unlikely faith that this lady would have here because she, this wasn't beaten into her head by the culture around her. She had, I mean, the odds of this happening are, are very slim, just thinking about it, humanly thinking here. So we have this, this lady. Um, she was an unlikely person to have the view of Jesus that she did. She was an unlikely person to come to Jesus the way that she did. She, she was such an unlikely person to have such great faith in Jesus. Mark tells us that she was a Syrophoenician by race. She was probably very familiar with the worship of Astarte and other pagan gods. And I'm not going to go into detail about, that's not what we're here for, but she's very familiar with, with these, these false pagan gods. And according to her culture, that would have been who she should go to to try to help her, her daughter get better. It wasn't go to the Messiah of Israel, go to the king of the Jews, go to the son of David. It would have been, let's see what these stone images or these, these idols can do for us. So that's her background. But these idols had done nothing to help her situation. She abandons those gods, which we don't know how involved she was with them, but she searches out the Messiah, this king of the Jews, and she cries out unto him. And what does she say? Have mercy on me. And I don't want to go quickly over that word mercy, because I believe that's important as we see, as we see her interacting with Jesus. Think about what, what mercy is. Mercy is, is not, uh, or sorry, mercy is receiving something that you don't deserve. So she's, she's asking for mercy, which is her asking for something that she doesn't deserve. So we can, we can see her understanding here where she is coming begging for something that is not owed to her. She comes begging for mercy. She recognizes that she is unworthy. She is not asking for help based on her goodness and worthiness. Don't miss that. Uh, so many people go to God as, God, you owe me. God, I've done so many great things. You owe me. This woman is, is coming to God recognizing I'm, un, I'm unworthy. She's begging for mercy. I need mercy here. What she's asking for is based on the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. That gives me chills to think of the mercy and the goodness of God. Because He owes us nothing. But because of mercy, because of grace, because of goodness. So often we're given so much more than we deserve. And start, at, start with salvation, with, with redemption. The thing every single person needs, but none of us are worthy of. Yet God gives His grace 
and his mercy. And we see this woman, this pagan woman, coming to God and recognizing that he is a merciful God. And without his mercy, she had no hope. Without God's mercy, we have no hope. Our only way to a right standing before God is through God's merciful grace. This woman recognizes her only hope is from a merciful God. So we see her recognizing, um, have mercy on me. Then she says, oh Lord. She recognizes the authority of Jesus. She recognizes the authority of the Messiah when his people on the other side are taking all the digs and questioning his authority and doing all these things. She comes to him and calls him Lord recognizing that He is the the sovereign Master, that He does have supreme authority. Then she acknowledges Him to be the Son of David. It's a messianic title. She recognizes Him to be the Messiah. She recognizes His goodness, His power, and His authority. And you can say, man, that's, that's wonderful that she did that. That's great faith. But look at who her faith is in. Because that's the important thing there. Let's not highlight this woman so much that, that we miss this all-powerful, almighty, sovereign God and this high view that she has of Him. And the, this view is, is drawing her to worship and to fall at His feet. She approaches Him humbly and reverently. Man, such a, such a big contrast in the way the multitudes approached him. They had accused him of being a drunk, of of spending time with with drunks, a a companion of sinners, and operating in the power of the devil. We see religious leaders crying that at Jesus. They showed no respect, no humility, and no honor. Yet we have this Gentile woman coming to Jesus with respect, with awe and wonder. She humbly approaches the only one that can truly help her. She asks Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. And we can see, looking at this woman, we can see her care and her compassion. I mean, leaving all the, the familiar gods of her people and coming to this, this Jewish man as a Gentile. For her daughter, she loved her daughter so much she was willing to do this. She humbly approaches the one that can help. Up to now, the story is pretty pretty normal where someone needs help and they're coming to Jesus. The way she looks at Jesus might be a little different than people normally do with the sense that she respects him and she honors him. And It's not you owe me, it's please have mercy on me. So we see her coming to Jesus in this way, just the way that God would desire her to approach But what does Jesus do? Verse 23, But he answered her not a word. What does Jesus do when she comes to him this way? Like if you're writing a book of how to come to God, this is like textbook right here. How does Jesus respond? He does nothing. He's quiet. Keep reading in verse 23, He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Uh, now in our, in our minds, or in the minds of, of the masses, you could say, but, but Jesus, this woman has a real need. 
She has humbly approached you. She even knows who you are. She has recognized you as the Lord, as the chosen Messiah. What are you doing? I can almost picture the disciples like scratching their head here because they've, they've seen him work with Gentiles before or have the attitude of she's a Gentile, just get her out of here. As we're looking at this, though, don't forget that Jesus is God. He knows what he is doing, first of all, but also he has the full power and full authority to respond how he will. That's overlooked about God a lot. But also, as all-knowing God, he knows how this whole story is going to play out. And uh, it seems here that he's even teaching his disciples what great faith looks like. The merciful, masterful teacher is at work, even in his silence. And if you want to get on a rabbit trail there, think about that one. God at work, even when it seems as though he is silent. You ever been there? Just think about that. We won't go there right now. The second part of verse 23 here is we see the disciples getting involved here. Well, how did, what do they say? Send her away. Can you kind of picture this where this woman is, is persistently begging for help? I'd imagine she's not too quiet about it. Her daughter needs help. She's possessed by a devil. I mean, just think how... Uh, Desperate you would be if you were facing a situation where your child needed help that only God could give. So this woman is begging for help. We have Jesus, the one who can fix it, just kind of ignoring her, being quiet. She's asking, he's being quiet. The disciples here, Lord, do something and get her out of here. She's crying after us. She's extremely persistent. It's like she's not going to leave us alone until you do something. Jesus, do something. Get her out of here. This is me right here. I believe that they wanted Jesus to help her and send her away, not just send her away. And I believe that because of the response Jesus gives them, gives them in verse 24. Look at verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So if he was just going to kick her out of there, I don't know that he necessarily would have, would have said this. He would have just done it, but he's, he's teaching some stuff here. He has some teaching to do. Whatever the case may be, they were trying to get away from the crowds. They were trying to be in this, this private house away from people. And they had a woman shouting and drawing attention to them. So their response is, Jesus, do something. Get this woman out of here because we're going to start having more crowds and we're trying to avoid that. So verse 24, Jesus explains why he had been ignoring this Gentile woman. And again, it's like, Jesus, it's like Jesus looks at the disciples and says this, but I believe this woman is, I mean, she's right there begging Jesus, so I believe she can hear what he says. So imagine hearing the Messiah, the one you've humbled yourself before, saying this about you. Verse 24, look at it again. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus explains why he had been ignoring this Gentile woman. 
He'd been ignoring her because the main focus of his ministry was to the nation of Israel. Even though there had been much rejection by the Jews, Jesus was still focused on reaching them. Now, in my mind, I wonder if the disciples were kind of like, but Jesus, what about that, that Roman soldier guy? What about that woman at the well? That Samaritan woman, remember you, you reached out to them, you helped them. I wonder if, if this woman hearing this, if this, this Gentile woman hearing this, I wonder what her thoughts were. You're desperate for help, and you get this response that says, look, I'm not sent to her, I'm sent to the, the household of, of Israel. That could have dashed her hope. That, could have been, that would have been a huge test of her faith. But do we have this woman running away? You hear Jesus say, I'm here to focus on the Jews. I'm here to work on the Jews, not to these Gentiles. And she comes closer. She runs closer to him. She falls at his feet. Where it seemed like rejection was the option that was coming, she draws closer to Jesus. She believed Jesus was her only hope, and she had nowhere else to go. Look at verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. So she hears Jesus say from his own mouth, I'm, I'm, my focus is on the house of Israel. And her response is to run at his feet. She worshipped him. That word worship means to bow down. The, this woman on her face before Jesus, she threw herself at the feet of Jesus and humbly begged more intensely for help. And she still recognizes him as Lord. You get the idea that this woman isn't going anywhere? That this woman is not taking no for an answer? Verse 26, here it is. Here's the shocking statement. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now, if you get offended real easy, Jesus just referred to you as a dog here. Now, it's, it's interesting, the, the Greek word here is, that Jesus uses is referring to more, there's a couple different words used. One was for just a dog. The other one referred more to, to a puppy or, or a household pet. He uses the, the puppy word here, so maybe he was trying to soften it up a little bit. But don't you, wouldn't you still get a little offended if someone calls you a dog? Like, that's not all right. Especially, uh, just thinking about all the political stuff going on and people getting caught up in what they said. And there would be a commercial about this one, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so we have Jesus responding to this woman not responding the way that we would probably imagine or that we would think the way the story would go. He repeats the same idea that he had just told the disciples that he sent for the house of Israel. And if you're wondering, children there is speaking of the Jews, dog is speaking of anyone else that's not a Jew, which would be the Gentiles. It just seems like Jesus is being really harsh here with this woman. Now at this point, think of, think of how you're going to respond especially how easily we can be offended today. This woman doesn't get upset 
and walk away. Her faith stays strong. She takes the Lord's illustration, and it's like she runs with it. Because you see Jesus saying, I'm here for the children, not for the dogs. Look what she does. I, this is so clever. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Okay, Lord, you're right, but the dogs get fed too. They might have to wait under the table and hope the kids don't like what they're eating. But the dogs get fed too. So she doesn't shy away from Jesus calling her this dog. She embraces it. And she says, look, even the dogs are taken care of. She says, truth, Lord. We still see that respect. So she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get some crumbs. She recognizes her unworthiness. She also recognizes that even a crumb of Jesus' power and mercy was enough to meet her needs. That gives me chills again. Because think of the powerful God that we have. Where just a little bit can be enough. It can look impossible. But just a little bit of mercy. A little bit of grace. A little bit of power is enough. And this woman recognizes it. Jesus, here's what she says. Verse 28 then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Jesus acknowledges her faith. Jesus displays his power and he heals her daughter. Oh, what a great example here of genuine, persistent faith. I mean, I think of the disciples watching this and looking at that like, wow. You know, and then you got Peter where I got out on the water and I saw some waves and my faith was small and I started sinking. This woman is basically told no several times and she draws closer to God and we see her faith grow. She had multiple reasons to walk away, yet her faith didn't waver. And then contrast that with the faith of the crowds that followed Jesus. It got bumpy. He gave them dinner but didn't give them breakfast. I mean, they're gone. They don't like what he says. They're gone. What if Jesus had called the crowd dogs? I mean, how is that going to go? Contrast that with the faith many people claim to have today. God, I love you and I'll serve you as long as you do this for me. As long as you do A, B, and C, my faith is strong in you. When times get rough, I'll, I'll be looking for something else. Or God, I'll have faith in you if you do this for me. What if this woman had went to Jesus with that attitude? I mean, Jesus, out real quick. I mean, it's interesting to contrast this, this faith here. Most importantly, through all of this, was who her faith was in. Yes, we can highlight her faith. But if her faith wasn't in Jesus, wasn't in the right person, in the right object, she has no hope here. If, she, if this same thing happens with, with a, a statue or an idol, she could stay 
forever there, and that idol's not doing anything for her. So many people today have their faith in, in so many different things. They might have great faith, but what's it in? Our faith must be in the most powerful one, in the Lord, the Son of David, the almighty, all-powerful God. And our trust must be in Him. And I don't want to go off topic too far here, but I want you to think about the vulnerable state of our country, of our world. And we have so many people having so much faith in this Tuesday that's coming up. And what's going to happen is either going to make their life or break their life or, or ruin their life. Which I understand, it's, it's difficult times and there's unbelievable stuff happening. But our faith must not be in who's going to be the next president or who's going to be elected to Congress. Or Our faith must be in God, the sovereign one. And understanding that he is in control and he does know what is going on. We could still be severely disappointed Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or however it takes them to figure out who's corrupt and who wasn't corrupt and, and what happened and were all the votes legitimate. Whatever happens, however it happens, our faith must not waver. It must be in God. No matter what. He's the only one who is truly faithful. And he's the only one who we can truly have our confidence and our faith and our trust in. And he's so worthy of, of praise and honor and glory. No matter what's going on around us. I just love the example of it got more tough for this lady and she drew closer to God and she got to his feet. And she confidently trusted in him. And she could do that because he is worthy of our confidence and of our trust. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that you are alive, that you are powerful, that we can trust in you even when we think you might be silent, even when we might not know what's going on. I thank you that we can trust in you. And just a little bit of your power is so much greater 